lot of controversies in the, in the churches today about God doesn't judge us anymore or God's a merciful God and he would never do anything like he did in the Old Testament and all that stuff needs to be addressed from a scriptural standpoint and so tonight with with this um, um, question is mind does God have a right to judge us uh, that's something we have to establish first in later teachings I want to go into different areas of judgment but tonight we're just going to simply look at this and and it's important that we realize that that God has called us onto this earth for a reason and so tonight I've just asked the Father by the name of Jesus to give us wisdom and anointing everyone that hears us watches it it'll not just be information but Father it'll be an impact on their heart the anointing of each word will be there Lord God if, if my voice doesn't have the anointing on it then it will not gain what it's supposed to gain so please Father do the work that needs to be done in these people's hearts and minds. They'll remember, but also have it in their heart as a revelation that God has a right to do what he knows is right. And so we need to look at it from a biblical standpoint. I'm not asking us to look at it from my standpoint, but rather from a biblical standpoint, even though I will be commenting on the scriptures. So, so first of all, I have, I have about um, um, a number of six, at least points that I want to bring out as to why God has a right to judge us. First of all, when he created this whole universe, according to Genesis chapter 1, he really went to a lot of work to make not just the earth, with the mountains and the seas and the soil and the, all that stuff and the vegetation. But he created a whole universe with stars and sun and moon and and all the stuff that we, you know, if we look at at night, if, if you've never been out in the country away from all electric lights and all the, the flashes of what our cities produce, just where it's out there. And let's say it's a night with the clear skies, but no moon. The stars are so awesome. And if you live up north, you might even see the um, northern lights, they call them, where there's a glow in the light, in the night light. And all this stuff, I'm convinced God went to all this work and created all this universe for us because he was looking forward to having a family that would enjoy this earth and he could be our father and we would be his family. And that's where we get the whole idea from scripture is that he desires a relationship like any good father would want a relationship with the rest of the family. So we're going at it from that point of view, okay? So Genesis 1 sets the whole what God did for us. It's not just God did it for him. He didn't need another world. He's already got heaven out there somewhere that we haven't seen yet, but we will someday if we walk with him. That's a promise. First of all, after creating all the universe, he created us. Psalm 139. One of my, I have many favorite um, scriptures. This is one. For you created my innermost being, 
like David saying to God, everything that I am, you created it. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I, wa I, I want to preach a whole sermon on this. Just think of what God was doing. He was fussing over you. As a matter of fact, he said in the next verse, I praise you because I've, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. The word fearfully means with great respect and great awe. Your works are wonderful. I know them full well. Think of it. When we're knit together, God was meticulously, I think I said that word right, meticulously, Noting, knitting all the nerves together, the blood vessels, the veins, uh, the muscle tendons, all that stuff as we grew in nine months, he was knitting all those things together. Why did he fuss over us so much? Because he wanted a son and he wanted a daughter. Verse 15, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the sacred place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. I, I I wondered one time, what does he mean when I was woven together in the depths of the earth? He just told me he knit together in my mother's womb. Well, I began to realize that my mom, when she had me in her womb, was eating things from the earth. Maybe it was milk from a cow or an egg from a chicken. But those cow and chickens, they still ate from the earth, grain and feed, all that stuff. Cows ate the hay, the, the grass, uh, whatever they ate. And you see, the earth was giving up. It says this in Genesis 1. He ordered the earth to give up into all those plants the daily nutrition they needed to make apples and oranges and fruit and raspberries and all the hundreds of fruits and vegetables we have plus the grains that we have and the straw and the hay for animals to eat he made all that stuff for us he did that for us he didn't have to do that he doesn't live on hay he doesn't need a glass of milk before he goes to bed he did it for us you see when did he ever cook an egg you understand he doesn't need this stuff can't imagine having pork for breakfast because he's a Jew, half Jew anyway. And so we see this in verse 16. He says, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days remained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. And I love that too, because not only did he fuss over ordering the earth what to do to give up food, or putting the sky into place, all that stuff. But then he, he established a book for each one of us. I have a book somewhere, you have a book somewhere. And he wrote in that book while I was still in the womb what he desired for me to. He wasn't preordaining that I have to do it. I know predestined is used a couple of times in Paul's letters, but he can't mean, it can't literally mean that I'm ordered to do stuff I have no choice. It doesn't mean that. It can't because it takes away my free will, which we'll talk about in a few minutes. And in that book, I believe he wrote down all the aspirations, all the, the good things that he planned for me, plans that I could abort and disobey, but plans that I could fulfill by his Holy Spirit if I walked in obedience to him. He did all that to get me prepared for being part of his family. And so he, in Psalm 100, he says, 
verse 3, we know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, the psalmist says, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Now, he simply used the word sheep because sheep are a common animal in the time that Jesus walked around in the Old Testament time. And they were very submissive um, animal to the shepherd. Once the shepherd had them uh, disciplined to obey him, and sometimes they had to do a little bit of, of something to get them to obey, but they looked and the shepherd guarded them from the enemy. He led them to feed and stuff. And that's what we are before the Father. He wants to be the one to lead us into life. He wants to be the one to lead us to the things where we're supposed to do, the things he wrote in the book and all that stuff. And I love this one phrase that says, we are his, we belong to him. Even if you don't believe in God, you've never accepted Jesus as a personal Savior. Even though you'd, you've never obeyed, you never cared about it, you still belong to him because he fussed over you in your mother's womb. It doesn't matter what nationality you were. doesn't matter what religion you were. It's still God Almighty, creator of this universe, that created you in your mother's womb. He was doing it for a purpose. And that purpose is being lived out in the body that you're now in. Whether you believe in him or not, it doesn't matter. That's what the Word of God says, and I believe the Word of God to be true. I am God's Christian. Listen, if I just believe what someone in the world is saying, that I just happened in my mother's womb, that is a foolish statement. It is not scientific answer to a question, where did I come from? It is not. Because our, the, the, the complications of our whole body, it's impossible for it just to happen. And there's no DNA that tells it how to happen. If there was... Who programmed it? Who made it happen? God's hand is in everything. Just think, the earth that was told to give up nutrition into plants and vegetables and fruits and all that. 6,000 years ago, that's what they say. It looks like it. That's when Adam was formed. You can believe where, how many you want, how many years you want when the earth was formed. But Adam and Eve, it looks like about 6,000 years ago, give or take a few hours. Okay, we can't be accurate too long ago. And so it's a miracle that we are here. It's a miracle. It's not happening. It's not the mystery of life that they talk. It's something that God ordained and we are here. And when it says we are his, he has every right to own us because he made us. He has every right to own us. However, point number three, he created us with the option of making our own decisions. Listen, he compares his relationship to us many times as a, and he refers to a marriage and he, and he wants to make sure we understand it's a good marriage. So many people go through our products of bad marriage. It's too bad because the enemy's messing up marriages. So we can't get an understanding of what God is looking for in a relationship. But you see, when I got married, I didn't tell Margaret she had to marry me. And therefore, she had to say, yes, I will, because you're ordering me to. There'd be no satisfaction for me, no joy for her. And so I want her to marry me because she wanted to. I give her a choice. She could have walked out on me. She could have said, I don't want the ring. 
Uh, she could because she had a choice, you see. She never did that, by the way, but um, I'm so glad she didn't because we're coming up in a couple of years to our 60th anniversary, and I wouldn't trade that for anything else. And so I'm, I'm glad, but God says, I want you to understand, you have a choice whether you serve me or not. So look at what Joshua said. The, the, the tribe of Judah is now in the promised land. There's a few Benjamites that were a very small tribe also with them. And he's saying to this tribe, uh, who, who we call Jewish people, which is Jew is a short form for Judah, he's saying to them, look, there's still nations in this land of ours that need to be driven out because their sinful lifestyle is why God wants them driven out because they, by conscience they knew me, says in Romans 1, by conscience they knew me, even though they didn't have the law, so they have to be driven out because they disobeyed their conscience. I don't want you to become like them. And if you hang out with them, you will become like them. The Bible says bad company corrects or, or distorts good character. And so we need to realize that's why God is doing. So listen to what he says. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, isn't that an interesting statement? For a guy that's come all the way through the desert for 40 years with these people that give them nothing but hassle. Now he's saying, if you don't like it, here's your choice. Then choose for yourself this day whom you'll serve, whether the gods of your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose lands you're living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. So Joshua's saying, if you want to be like the other nations, involved in their worship of their gods and all the perversion that they're involved in, that's your choice. But if you want to serve the same God that your ancestors, he talked about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you have a choice. So make, he says, for, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. So the Lord has given us a choice, even though he went to all that trouble creating us, we still have a choice. However, we messed up Romans 3, 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Again, when Adam and Eve sinned, it introduced sin into the world. He literally gave the rulership that God had given to him over to the enemy. And it says in the last chapter of the epistle of 1 John that the, that the enemy is, has control of the whole earth. And that's what we're living in, a control by the enemy. Instead of us being in control, the enemy has been given that. And so we're living out so we can still make a choice because God has been good to us, let's face it. Then on top of that, because of our sin, God then had to do something to redeem us. And so he gave us his son, Jesus. Instead of an animal dying like in the Old Testament where an animal's blood was shed instead of the people's sin being put, or the people being put to death for the sin, and animals put to death in their place. But the blood just covered the sin. It didn't do away with it. Jesus came. He took the place of that animal. And now we have a Savior who said, once for all your sins can be dealt with. If you'll repent, be baptized, you can become a new creature in God. He'll put the, the seed of the Father, which is the word of Jesus, in us. And we will live eternally. Our bodies will die, probably be buried but we, the person inside of us, will live forever. That's a promise. So he's done all this, and he's done some more. He took punishment for us in John 3, 16, 17. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And so some of us take the first verse and say, see, God forgave us. But he forgot the fact that Jesus said, John the Baptist said, Paul said, Peter said, we have to repent. The prophets, the Old Testament, you say, we have to repent. Repentance clears us from the sin of the past. The blood of Jesus pays the price for that sin instead of us dying for that sin. We go into the water, we get baptized. That means the old man, the old woman is dead and buried and rid of it. We come up out of water. The seed of the word of God is put in us according to 1 Peter 1. And we become new creatures in Christ Jesus. Which means I am now his son because his seed is in us. A total topic on its own. Look for water baptized, water baptism on the archives. I have a teaching in there on it somewhere. So he took our punishment for us. But that 17th verse says, God did not send his son in the world to condemn us. He doesn't. He, he's here to forgive us, people. If you're not a Christian, he's here to forgive us. For you to, to go to the Lord and repent say, Lord, I'm sorry. I haven't put you first. I've sinned against you. I've sinned against people. Please forgive me. Those are the two basic sins. He wants desperately to forgive. He doesn't want to have to judge you someday by his word. He wants you to be part of The Bible says he does not desire that any would lose and not inherit eternal life. We need to remember that. Our another point is because God is a family person, that's why he refers himself to the, as a father. And again, we have the problem in our society of so many people not knowing what a father is like because half of the kids that are growing up today, the last couple of generations, 50% of them didn't have a home-at-home home father. They might have got to see him for an evening through the week or something like that, but he was never really the father he should have been. He couldn't be if he wasn't in the home. And so Satan, again, is messing up the family. He's messing up marriage. He's messing up the family. So people don't know. But I want you to imagine for a moment, just, just stop and think. What would be a per? I want to envision a perfect family where the marriage was good, mom and dad were getting along and loved each other, and my brothers and sisters and I, we enjoyed each other. We got along good. We laughed at each other's jokes. I became aware that, you know, watching my grandchildren, I know they love each other because they laugh at each other's jokes when they're sitting at the table eating. Isn't that? I just said, that's, they love each other, they respect each other. Oh, see, envision that if you didn't have it. And see, that's what the Father in Heaven wants. We call it the church. And I'm sorry again, the church doesn't always reflect the best example of a family either. And I would like to know how we can change that. And I believe we can. I believe there's ways that God is changing the whole dynamics of, of what we call church into something that would be better fitted to see the family. And so God says he calls us his children. He calls us sons. He calls us daughters because we have his seed in us. We are now his children. Not the physical body, but the, the heart inside is his child. The physical body still belongs to an earthen mother and father. And um, someday it'll be dead and 
buried and um, we'll get to heaven eternally. But right now, it's God inside of me making me his child as he can do for you. And I am his child. I belong to him. I have to tell you this. I was hospitalized for, for a while back a few years ago. And um, one of the nights, there was two nights that were really, they were, I was at the bottom of, they almost lost me, so I was at the bottom of everything. It was in the middle of the night. My wife was there through the day, but it was the middle of the night. I really was getting discouraged. The first night, the enemy was hitting with doubts and all that. And the second night, again, I had trouble going to sleep, and again, he was hitting me with these doubts. And, and I know the Lord came into the room. I know he did. I didn't sense him at that moment, but all of a sudden, I knew I needed to sing something. I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses, that beautiful hymn written many years ago. And then the chorus says something, and I sang it through just quietly under my breath so I wouldn't wake anybody else. There's one other person in the room. And I got to the course. I'm singing this out like a loud whisper. And he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own. When I said that phrase, the darkness was gone. The words were gone. The accusations and all the doubts were gone. Nothing changed as far as the physical of the room. <clears throat> but I let the enemy know that I belong to him. And see, that's what this verse says. We are his. We are. Genesis 3.8. This is talking about Adam and Eve again. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the evening. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden but the Lord God called to the man, where are you? So this is after they sinned. But I wanted to point out something to you. The fact that they heard God walking in the garden wasn't a surprise to them. He'd done it before. We don't know how long. There could have been years from creation to this where before they sinned. We don't know. So they were used to meeting God in the garden. They were also aware of the fact they had now sinned, and so they, they sewed some fig leaves together to cover themselves because they suddenly became aware that they were naked. <clears throat> I understood that better um, growing up. I, I think back to a man that was telling me this. He had a little boy about four and a little girl about two and the mother had instilled in the little girl you never ever let your little brother see you in your underwear the father was telling me this and he said one day 
she was just getting out of the shower and he sprayed some water on her and she took after him to catch him, stark naked. She was obeying, she wasn't letting him see her in the, her underwear and you see in a sense that's the way Adam and Eve were. They were totally innocent of being in their, in their nude but then when they sinned they became aware of an of death that became aware of the other realm and so when God was working through the garden to come to them they weren't surprised that he was coming they were prepared to cover up their nakedness because they knew, expected him to come so I said all that to say this that it looks as though God desires to spend time with us his creation to spend time with us uh, on, let me say a regular basis because a father who is a good father and wanted a family will spend time with his children he just wants to so if we have this loving God that wants to spend time with us wants to have family I would say that's a pretty good situation to be in John 1 first John pardon me 1 3 we proclaim to you what we've seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us so he says John is saying here what I've seen and heard God wants to fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and his Son Jesus Christ and then again in Philippians 3.10, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. You see, Paul said to the human church, the fellowship with God is so precious and so sweet. I'm willing to go through persecution and suffering to maintain that. That's what he's saying. That's how precious it was to him. If it was that precious to us, we would press forward, we would do it. We would actually do what it says in the book of Hebrews we're supposed to do. God said to the writer, tell the people to draw near to me. Come and be, be my children. And so when we understand that the Father wants fellowship with us, there should be something within us that wants to please him. So John 8, verse 28, now he, this is Jesus saying this, and he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. So Jesus wanted to please his father. He knew the father as a perfect father because he'd spent so many years with him already. We don't know how long. And then Paul <laughs> says in 2 Corinthians 5, 9, Therefore also we have our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing with him. Let me paraphrase. No matter where I am, at home, on vacation, preaching somewhere, working in a hospital, working in the business world, working anywhere, ministering to my family, fellowshipping them, I want to be pleasing to the Father. That's why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, Seek first the kingdom. Seek it first. And he could have said it this way. He said, all things, you'll receive all things. But he said, it will be well with you. That's a phrase that's used a lot in the Old Testament. 
If you seek the kingdom first, it will be well with you. You understand? We need to understand obedience to the Lord produces a fellowship, produces a family of believers that we call brothers and sisters. And all this God has done for us. Don't forget that. Hebrews 11.5, by faith Enoch was taken up so that he could not see death. And he was not found because God took him up. For he obtained the witness that before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. So this Enoch guy was so pleasing to God, God says, I'm not going to take him through death. I'm not going to take him through a funeral or anything else. I'm just going to take him up. The other guy was Elijah the prophet who went up the chariot of fire come down. He got in, up he went. He didn't experience death either. You understand? God, they were so pleasing to God. And Lord, I've asked the Lord to take me up too because funerals are quite expensive, you know. And, we, and why should my family have to bow out that? So whatever, if I go missing someday and my shoes are still here, you'll know that I've been gone with the Lord, okay? Now the Father wants to respond with blessings. So Psalm 16, verse 11, You have made known to me the path of life, you will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. So God has promised us, after all he's done for us, he's promised us eternal pleasures and even pleasures here at home. Now on this earth, the joy of his presence. <clears throat> now we have a responsibility, and this is what Deuteronomy 28 says. Deuteronomy 28 is when Moses is preparing the children of Israel, what's left of them. They've been in the wilderness 40 years. They're standing at the river. Jericho's on the other side. They have to get through the river. But Moses is recapping all the stuff they have to obey while they get into the promised land. First of all, obedience to God, obedience to treating one another, but also a whole bunch of food regulations and health regulations to keep them alive. A lot of the, people at his time and since have taken a lot of these rules and regulations for eating and drinking and all that, made them into religious laws. That's not what they were meant for. They were meant to keep them healthy and to how they get along with each other. Listen to what he says in Deuteronomy 28, the first about 14 to 10, 14 verses. If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands that I give you today, the Lord your God will, listen, set you high above all the nations of the earth. Now listen, he's talking to a nation here. He's not talking to me that he has set me above all the other nations of the world. He's talking to this nation of ours or any other nation where the listener of this program might be. He wanted to set your nation above all the other nations because you're obeying. Now this is what he was saying to Israel. I chose you, I told Abraham that his and Isaac and Jacob, and, and out of that Jacob branch from Abraham, I chose that nation with those 12 patriarchs, the sons of and Jacob, men who known as Isaiah. I chose them to be a nation and that that nation would say to the whole world out there, everybody that would come in contact with them, they really have a wonderful God. Look at how he's blessing them with, 
with obedience in their children and good solid homes and prosperity and good weather and all that. He covers all that in Deuteronomy 28. He says, if you obey me as a nation, I will totally bless you. The rains will come at the right time because most of the people then were farmers. At least they would be when they get into the promised land. And they would understand a lot from their crops and all that stuff. Well, you see, God was saying, I want to totally bless a nation. Now, individually, yes, he does want to bless us as individuals. And he wants to bless us as families. But there are things because we live in a fallen culture, a country that has turned against God, there's going to be things we have to put up with and trust God to get this through them. So he goes through Numbers 28, first of all, blessing, and then he finishes up with twice as many verses saying, this is what's going to happen to you if you do not obey me. You can read that chapter. It's really worth to read just that we know this is what's wrong with our nation. It is not global warming. It's because we have separated ourselves from God and he's allowing these things to happen in, the, in our weather and all that stuff because he said thousands of years ago, if we don't obey him, the weather, the, everything will turn against us. That's what's happening. We've come up with something else because we don't want people to believe in God, but he's still doing it. As a matter of fact, he says many times in scripture, he has total control of the weather, the elements and everything. He's the one that does it. So after all these different things, we have to conclude that he has every right to bring us to judgment if we don't obey him, if we don't repent of our sins and follow him. So Jeremiah 18 one day, and prophet Jeremiah in the 18th chapter records this. God said to Jeremiah, go down to the potter there, the guy that makes the potters. And I want you to watch them because I want to teach you something. So let's read it. I'm going to read about 10 verses here from Jeremiah 18, starting at the first verse. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house and there I'll give you my message. So I went down to the potter's house and I saw him working at the wheel. But the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. So the potter formed it into another pot shaping it as seemed best to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter does, declares the Lord? Like the clay in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. So he's talking to this nation. He says, I can do with this people whatever I want. What I want to make out of it, I can do it. Verse 7 if at any time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be uprooted, tore down, and destroyed, and if that nation I warned results, repents, pardon me, of its evil, then I'll, revent, I'll relent and not inflict on it the disaster I had planned. So God is saying to Jeremiah, you go out and tell them, listen, Israel, if you obey the Lord, he wants to bless you, and he's got a plan to use you to illustrate to all the other nations how beautiful I want to treat people, how I want to bless them and love on them and guide them and lead them. But if they change their mind about serving me, I can change my mind about the blessing I'm declaring on you. In, Matthew, in Deuteronomy 28, 
the one I spoke of in a minute, would unfold that for you. So let's go on verse 9. If at another time announced that a nation or kingdom is to be built up and planted, and if it does evil in my sight and does not obey me, then I will reconsider the good I had intended to do for it. So he's clear there. Hundreds of times through Scripture he's saying a lot of the same things. Any nation that disobeys me, I will utterly destroy it. But he has also said before that, any nation that obeys me, I will bless. I will love on it. I will lift it up to be an example to all of the nations. And so we as a nation right now where I'm sitting in this nation, uh, I see it as disobeyed the Lord to a great extent. God is allowing a lot of things to happen in this nation that are unpleasant. And I believe every one of them are going to be teaching more on this. But everything that happens that is unnatural, too much rain, too much snow, too much sun, not enough sun, um, all that stuff. You see, God is saying to us, I'm warning you what can happen. I'm warning you in advance. And it's not really a, a judgment he's bringing. He's actually a forewarning of what he can do this if we do not walk with him. And so that's the word that has to be in our hearts today. We need a nation that turns back to the Lord. So let's read some scriptures from the New Testament because some of the some of the teachers out there are saying there's no wrath of God in the New Testament. Well, they forgot to read this one. Romans 1 verses 18 to 20. And, and Paul here is gearing up to saying to the Jewish people, the nation that controls us, the Roman people, the nations that control us is an evil nation. And it, is, it does not see the goodness of God in our lives because you are allowing it to shape you into their image. And he's warning them here. Listen to the warning. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who oppose us, who suppress the truth by their wickedness. You see, he's saying to Israel, it's coming. I don't want you to be part of it. Separate yourself from that if you want to, but it's coming. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. You know what he's saying? He said, they may not have heard the law that I gave to the Jews, but they have a conscience that should guide them. And they've ignored it. Since what is may be known about God is plain to them. Why did he say that in verse 19? Because their conscience is telling them. And because they disobeyed, their conscience becomes seared, as the Bible says. And I say that because I heard a missionary speaking back years ago. His forefather, one of the former missionaries that came into a tribe, I believe it was out in the, in the eastern Pacific coast that he was talking about, came into this tribe that had never seen a white man before. He learned from their culture that they had laws in their culture. For example, a young man, single man, a young single woman, if they committed adultery or fornication before they were married, it would cost them their lives. When they, If they loved each other 
and they wanted to be married. They talked to the elders of the tribe. The elders would bless them if it was right. They would go off into the jungle for a couple of days by themselves. I guess that was their honeymoon. And then they were known to be married. Well, how did this tribe know it was wrong? Because of the, the conscience that God had put in them. That's just one example. I've heard of a number of others were missionaries that said tribes that never knew God. Now I could say this. I saw in this in the country of Hawaii or the state of Hawaii, I saw there the remains of the city of refuge that was on the island. Where did they get that from? Somewhere way back then decided to do what God had told the children of Israel to do, to have cities of refuge where if somebody kills somebody, they could run there before the relatives got a hold of them to kill him because if it was an accident, that meant he was innocent. They had the same thing in Hawaii. I saw it there. They explained it to me. This is a city of refuge. And I said, yes. Either there was a missionary here at one time, probably before Jesus, I don't know, but if there was, that their conscience still told them, if a man is guilty, a woman is innocent, pardon me, of killing somebody, it was an accident, they need to be brought justice. They need to have justice. Verse 20, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. Listen, Paul's saying they already, they've seen it. They know that it's impossible for a man to make a plant grow without dirt. They know they can't take grass and just make milk out of it. His invisible qualities. God does that. I love that cows don't even know what they're doing. And yet they can eat grass and make white milk out of it. It's impossible. A scientist that helped establish the, the NASA, the space program in the States, he said it's impossible for a man to do that. They cannot make white milk out of green grass. A cow can. She doesn't even know what she's doing. She doesn't wake up in the morning and say, I've got to get that gallon ready for the farmer. Doesn't do anything, just eat some grass. You're quite stupid, actually. <laughs> Yet they can do something a man can't do. But these things that God has established have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. Wow. Anyone who has eaten an apple, you know the goodness of God because out that apple was formed. Because of a word the Lord gave 6,000 years ago to the soil to produce into that apple tree everything that tree needed to make an apple. Impossible for men to do that. Impossible. It doesn't just happen. It isn't a mystery of life. It's a God act. Every apple eat, every pear, every fruit, every seed, every steak I eat, everything is a miracle of God. The grass out in my lawn, every blade, as an old-time preacher once said, every blade is a sermon. <laughs> because it is impossible for us to come to a real sensible conclusion that things just happen. They don't. Somebody said, to have this universe formed from an explosion is just as possible as the uh, Encyclopedic Buchanan to be formed by an, uh, an explosion in a printing press. It's impossible. I, say, I saw one time a kid with a shirt, t-shirt, you know, the, 
I believe in the Big Bang Theory, it said. I said, oh, no. But then on the back it said, God spoke and bang, it was done. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's go on. Romans 2, 5. Because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant hearts, you're storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. So there within two chapters, Paul mentions his wrath at least three times. Ezekiel 14, 22. This is when God is talking about his judgment on Jerusalem. He says, he says to Ezekiel, you will know that I have done nothing in it without cause, declares the sovereign Lord. May I please point out all the disasters we hear about, all those things, God does it for a cause. What's his cause? It's to try to say to the world out there that has rejected him, I can bring judgment. I can bring devastation. Would you please repent and come back to me? I want to not only forgive you, I want to accept you into my family. I want to love you as a true father would love you. I want you to enjoy your siblings. I want you to enjoy the goodness of Jesus, a bride. That's another illustration he uses. I want to do that for you. He does not desire that any should perish, but that all of us would enjoy him. And so that's the message. And because of all that, all those things I pointed out from Scripture, God has a right to judge those who shake their fist in his face and say, I want nothing to do with you. He has a right to do that because he created us, he formed us, he, he, met, he fussed over us, he's loved us, he gave his son who he loved deeply. The people of heaven gave up the darling uh, Jesus, as one of the songs says, they gave up so much so that we could be saved and join him and you see if we don't accept him after the price that jesus paid after he's known the heart of the father's hurt so much because his family won't join him he sees all that that's why jesus in john eleven thirty five, simply looked out over the city of jerusalem the city that had rejected his miracles all those years and he simply wept over it. so father your word is still a light to us your word tells us here that you own us by choice. We can reject that ownership. But Lord, your offer of blessing and love and fellowship and family is so rich, Lord God. How can we reject it? How can we say no to you? Please, Lord, touch the hearts of people that are listening and watching this. Touch their hearts with your love, Lord Jesus. Lead them down where they bow their head on the floor. They get their face down there. They cry out to you to be merciful to them. They cry out to you. They would cry for forgiveness of rejecting you and not putting you first as you asked, not putting others before ourselves as you asked. But Lord, deep within their heart that they'd have a desperation as they cry out to you, Lord God, for forgiveness. And Lord, if they cry from the depths of their hearts, you have promised that you'll totally forgive them. You'll not only forgive them, Lord, you promise that they'll lay their sin so far behind, you'll not mention any more. They're totally forgiven and restored. That is possible, Lord, because you're a forgiving God, which is another reason why you have the right to judge us. So thank you, Father. And in the name of Jesus, we pray this word will not depart from the souls that is touched at this time. In the name of Jesus, we thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen.
please visit our website at jwmi.ca to find out about more information of our ministry.